Welcome to Gucci Row on the Rebel HD2. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly, with co-host Will Despart. Sitting Gucci Row like they say up at UNLV. Thanks for tuning in to our courtside conversations covering all things NBA. Young Rebel, young money, nothing you can tell me. What's up, y'all? We're back. Kevin Kelly, your host. Will Despart, your co-host. All right, how you doing, man? It's been a minute. It has been a minute, but I'm doing good. Staying busy. How about you? Same, bro. Start of the semester has been crazy, you know. Yeah. Uh, been just running around between that and work, but now it's been really good. I finally get to lock back in. It's been so nice in the last week watching all this hoop. <laughs> For sure. Um. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of writing, too. What have... Uh, what have you been covering the most? Uh, probably UNLV, just football and basketball as it comes along. Yeah. Football teams, obviously, on their run, so it's been fun to cover. And I'm starting to cover the Golden Knights now that they're getting into the swing of things, so it should be fun. Yeah, bro, you've been getting after it. I know yeah. we were joking earlier about someone said triple-double with articles. <laughs> yeah, it happens, but... Yeah, but um, so yeah, last episode was obviously uh, a long time ago before our little hiatus, but... Just checking in with a little bit of the news. Um, I have to sadly declare from the beginning of this episode that I was clearly and emphatically wrong about the Damian Lillard trade. He obviously is not in Miami. He is a Milwaukee Buck. And, um, yeah, I I have to deal with that all year. (laughs) It was funny to see how that played out, too, because it's kind of like obviously like the brashness Heat fans had didn't play into it, but the brashness the front office had in declaring, like, it was obvious the Blazers were shutting them out out of like contempt. Like they didn't want to deal with the Heat because the Heat were obviously not like cooperative. Not saying they weren't cooperative, but they were just being jerks about it. I guess. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think there's just so much going on when you involve agents and everything in trades like that. Like I saw Dame's um, agent reported to the Miami Herald about how uh, he said that like it wasn't the Heat's fault that like you know there's just so many different um parties and opinions on like what should happen that it seems like you can never get a solid understanding of when something doesn't go through like why that's the case but. and there's always the human aspect to it too like everyone wants to act like they do like they do the upfront thing but like there's emotions involved these are people that have had complicated relationships over the course of a decade so obviously when it goes sour they're not going to be like perfectly accommodating to each other yeah. So just for uh background, that was a you know, a three team trade where uh Portland received Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tamani Camera, um, and two first round picks, including and then two swaps. And uh, you know, the Suns received Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nazir Little, and Keon Johnson as part of that. And uh obviously the next thing we're gonna do is Drew Holiday is no longer a blazer after that deal. Um he got moved to the Celtics, which uh makes them really scary in my opinion that I, I don't know how you feel about the celtics i actually think the porzingis trade makes the celtics more scary than the drew holiday trade i think drew holiday kind of just like i wouldn't say he offsets what marcus smart lost because he's a little more valuable than marcus smart but i think he's kind of like what that would replacement would be but yeah i think porzingis in that offense is definitely scary like yeah, that's fair i mean we saw game one he had 30 um, like a comfortable 30 and was like 
just the way he can space the floor for them is something. Obviously, they have Al Horford who can do a bit of that, but his ability to do that and then provide deterrence at the rim. Yeah, I think I I could even agree. I think that um, Porzingis, if he's able to stay healthy, is going to be super impactful there. So those are the two trades out of the way, the the big ones that we missed in the meantime. Some other more news uh, actually just came out about the All-Star game this year. They flipped back to East versus West. Um, so no more leading vote getter from each side, it's, which just turned into an automatic LeBron versus Giannis at that point. But so that's gone back to east to west, and uh, there's no target score. Um, obviously, this is Adam Silver trying to get the players to care about the game. You know, we had a really disappointing one last year. Uh, do you think this matters? Does it sway that? I don't know if it matters. I think the All Star Game is the All Star Game at this point. Players are going to put in what they put into it because it's not. A meaningful game it's just an exhibition obviously i did see an idea on twitter that i liked it was usa versus the world i saw that for like the all-star game i think that would be a good idea to get fans like invested in it at least that like and it's something i could see them going to honestly you know like I, I wouldn't have expected them to abandon this so quickly it seems like silver's ready to just try stuff to try and because like it or not all-star game is important like there's so many casuals that will turn and in, tune into that game and um it's so big for like like advertising and all the money that comes in from that weekend like is really important so it seems like he's ready to do um whatever to get it back to relevant again it's definitely like more of a celebration of the league than other sports all-star games like with all the celebrities that come out it definitely means a bit more so it's definitely something that the nba needs to stay on top of and exactly avoid turning into something that the nfl turned into that's, that's a very good point yeah for sure um <laughs> isn't it like flag now <laughs> i i don't even know if they have it like they changed they obviously like forced out the game like it's not even a game anymore yeah but like they're getting to the point where like in five years there probably won't be anything and that's sad because at one point that was really fun to watch like i remember some was it that hit on the punter was that, that was sean the, taylor r.i.p that was during the, yeah, the, game the pro Bowl, right? it was like oh six or oh seven yeah yeah like there was a lot of fun moments that came out of those games i just would hate to see that happen it was also NBA. just cool back in the day when it was in hawaii and you would just see like it was like a good vibe for it sure would just come on and it was dark out out but living back east but it would still be light in hawaii yeah. so it just, it, it, i always liked that and they always had the like the the Hawaiian vibes with everyone dressed up and stuff yep. on the sidelines. So yeah, that was cool. Um, just on the All Star topic, back to some basketball. I saw I read this article um, on the NBA website recently uh, that was just talking about five candidates that are most likely to make their first All Star game. Um, I, obviously, it, there's more than one good option here, but I wanted you to weigh in on who you think is most likely out of. Um, Paolo Bancaro, Desmond Bain, Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, and Jamal Murray. I think Brunson and Murray are probably both pretty safe bets. I think the tide has turned on them media-wise. I'd say Murray is obviously like the one who's going to make it, like for sure. Because even if it's just as like a reward for the playoffs last year, yeah, he'll be in like that'll be the, in the forefront of voters' minds. Yeah, he secured that in last year for sure. Brunson, I think just in the New York market, if he's anywhere close to an all-star, he's going to get the votes. So. I mean, yeah, those not Jalen Brunson was 24 uh, points and six assists last year on almost 42% from three. 
like <laughs> that's not far from all NBA numbers, like let alone all stars. So yeah, and I think he's definitely started to get the respect of like an elite player. I I wouldn't say he's like top tier in the league, but he's definitely like a step below that. Where he's like the only thing I'd say though is like with Randall in there, he takes up so much of being a hub in that offense. Um, uh, personally, I think it should be a lot more um, Brunson usage focused, but it seems like they're pretty adamant of keeping the ball in Randall's hand a lot, so that could take away from his chance there too. But Yeah, that's fair. But to go into the other three, um, Mikhail Bridges, obviously Brooklyn's got a lot of opportunity open on offense for someone to come in and create shots, and you know we saw a little last year that Mikhail's able to do that. Um, I, I don't know that he's naturally someone that is like, gonna go out and be the team's leading scorer on like you know a a playoff team like long term so and that's not to say that he has to do that to become an all-star but um I don't know that the role he's in is like the role that people see him becoming in for the Nets is really something that's uh long term for him the Nets are also just not going to be a team that garners much attention at all this year so he could be very good and just not yeah they're interesting because because they uh you're right like i don't think they will either but they have like so much talent there it's just like like um like not uh thrown together well and they don't have any like continuity and time spent together so i agree and then the last two there um are desmond bain which i think i might even say he's got the best chance of these five just because um you know no jaw for the first half of the season and they're going to need a lot of his help on offense. They uh, also have no Tyus Jones anymore to take up some of the ball handling. So a lot of the shot creation is going to need to fall on him, and he you know, is more than capable, averaged 21 last year. Uh, so, you know, and then the other one is Paolo, who I thought this was an interesting stat that I read on that on that article. Five of the last six rookies of the year brought their team to the playoffs in year two um you think you think the the magic are on that route or no no <laughs> i don't think so i mean they were really far away last year i think paulo he he showed flashes but he didn't sh- like he didn't look like a player who's going to lead someone to the playoffs in year two at yeah. least through the course of an 82 game season mm-hmm. and uh, you know i like i agree and I, I but i think they'll win a good amount more games maybe flirt with the back of the play in but i don't think they'll be a playoff team I do like I think that their core for their front court going forward is really really good but yeah um I I, I agree there and then next bit is uh the city edition jerseys that come out you know every year the NBA releases um <laughs> their new city edition jerseys for each team brutal and they're hideous yeah like they people have complained in the last handful of years coming up that these jerseys have just gotten worse and less creative, but this year is like a step further to the point where it was like cartoonishly bad. It was like too creative. Like, come on. I mean, I believe that you shouldn't be changing uniforms every year. You should have your solid uniform. You should have one alternate uniform you keep that you just like a solid alternate. And if you want to have a special jersey every like one special jersey a year, or whatever, which is, that's fine for like certain teams. But mm-hmm. these like. This line is clearly just for engagement. Like this, it felt like they were releasing 
intentionally hideous jerseys for like a social experiment <laughs> for like just the negative engagement which is weird to say obviously but it's obviously something that happens so yeah i, I mean some of those were just so inexplicably bad like the pacers one mm-hmm that's one of the worst the heat, jerseys I've ever seen. The Heat one is the maybe the worst jersey I've ever seen. I mean, the Heat one, and this is going to sound the egregious, Bulls, the Bulls. I didn't even think the Heat one was the worst. Like, I thought the Heat one was one of the better ones. Oh, sorry, the Clippers. The Clippers was the worst one. The Clippers, <laughs> the Clippers looked like, it looked like a Wizards jersey, except they like like a bad Wizards jersey that you would buy, find at like six flags that you would win off like the uh, like the basketball game, like the knockoff jerseys they had yeah. with like the Batman logos and stuff. Uh-huh. It looks like one of those, like wiz- the, like for a fake Wizards team. Put the little ball on the um the, the eye of the clips just to yeah. make sure you knew they're talking about the basketball mean, team. But uh, so yeah, no, I agree. And to your point, when you think of like a lot of uh, legends in the NBA before like ten years, like, ten years ago, you think of like a lot of the guys in the thousands, like your Kobe's and your Reggie Millers and all them. Like you can very vividly, clearly picture them, and you know two three a a few jerseys that are super memorable and like um and that speaks to another thing like these are huge parts of like the sport and the branding of your sport like how you how your star players look in their uniform and the number like the last name and the number you see that silhouette on like in storefronts like just the last name and the number on the back of a jersey no face like that's a huge part of your brand so if you're having something come out that's just hideously disgusting like the nike uniforms this year i mean it and it's not good for the sport at all. Beyond the quality of how they look, like just the fact that it's being like mixed up so quickly is not good because Yeah, that's yeah, also fair. Yeah, like you think of uh, city editions, year to year they're so different and the colors change so much where it's like if you picture um a moment that a player had um <laughs> in a city jersey, you don't even like it's not even uh like comparable to what the team looks like today. So. And then when they do have the rare hit on a city jersey, they phase it out after a year because they want to like. And there's been some good ones over the years. I mean, the Cream City one was very good. The Valley Suns one. I mean, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but the Suns created some moments in that. Which yeah. I, I, someone tweeted that I can't remember who to give credit for. But they were just thinking of like jerseys like associated with the Nike like rebrand that like we're associated with moments and there's mm-hmm. really not that many like no and they like you said the ones that do well it doesn't matter because they're gone the next year and replaced with something that's worse so it's yeah i think that that's important and they need to stick with that um and then yeah one more thing uh uh before just some opening night takeaways uh is just well he'll be in, included there too but Wembenyama um you know, through the preseason and early in the season, he looks really elite already and probably past development of what most people even thought. And that's crazy to say, considering he was touted as the best prospect ever. So, <laughs> I mean, you just got to believe what you're seeing. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> like, he's seven four. he dribbles like a point guard, he shoots like a, a wing, like... Yeah, like believe your eyes. It's not. It's not a facade. Yep, his footwork, his wiggle, like in in getting to spots and creating a shot, is like inhuman. Like it does not look real. So it's uh, really wild. And his comfort um, on both ends of the floor looks really good. Like I know you mentioned the other day that on defense, it's really fun to watch him because he gets like out of position by a half or three steps 
for the normal person and then <laughs> a half stride and a reach and he gets like a block on the other side of the hoop it's so. like bad defensive plays that would expose another defender like expose a, a lesser like talent it actually turns into his best moments because he's like has to compensate for like the step he lost and then he has extends his big mr elastic arms and and gets th- a block that looks like it came out of a photoshop <laughs> and those are the only times he gets blocks too because like guys think they haven't beat and are confident enough to go up and then get it punched but then like every other play like you sh- uh, there's been so many clips and examples already of guys that like have him one-on-one on like a fast break and <laughs> and pull the ball away because they don't even want to test him at the rim like and that's just like how valuable an elite like rim presence is like yeah that's gonna go a long way when the Spurs are built to win games. Mm-hmm. Just having him be able to just camp out and influence shots like that, even yeah. if he's not the best defender. Yeah, which also to that point, like that's a role that they haven't had him in yet, and I'm a fan of that. Like they've been playing really big lineups where, you know, Zach Collins plays the traditional center, and uh, Wemby's at the four, like in the corner, kind of like Rob Williams esque from the Celtics, and just like you know um being a rover and being able to affect drives and passing lanes and shots from there and not have to take the constant bumps from the big man i think that's huge for them um the the thing i will say though is they've been running like a like a non-point guard lineup like so big to the point where um jeremy sohan has been their point guard and uh I think the minutes that Trey Jones hasn't been in at point guard has been a lot better because Wemby just has a lot more space and looks more comfortable um, in pick and roll. But uh, yeah, if you want to, I know there's you sent the Shea uh, Serrano slam article. <laughs> I thought that was cool. If you wanted to mention what he said, well, yeah, he was saying that there was like we've never seen like one player we can compare Wemby to. Like it's just like mixtures of the two, like. He's like if you mix Hakeem and Durant, he said, or Abdul Jabbar and McGrady, or the funny one he said, if you miss a fighter jet with a Jaguar, <laughs> yeah. which is it's yeah, it's that's the absurd comparison you have to make because there's just never been anything even close to this. Yeah, like you said, the only thing that speaks for it is watching it. You just have to believe your eyes. But um, yeah, I guess uh, to get to some of the um, early opening night takeaways. Uh, just uh, just a couple, you know, we already got into it, but Porzingis looked really comfortable. The Celtics looked scary. Um, I think that, I guess my question here is that I think we both could clearly agree that Tier 1 champion uh, contenders is Celtics, Bucks, uh, Nuggets. But the question I'd have is, do the Suns get in there or any other team or no? I think you could throw the Suns in there. I think any team with KD and Buck is going to I cut it off there, the West, But, yeah, I... I don't see anyone else even. Yeah. I mean, the NBA is one of those... It's a league where you can pretty much tell who the main contenders are going in. Yeah, that's not to say... Obviously, Tier 2 teams... Tier 2 contending teams can and do win all the time, or at least get to the finals all the time. But, yeah, it does start to shape up. And I guess one more question on that. This one's interesting to me. Is like, um, how many games in do you think it's fair to start like making like loose assessments on teams like because i know early in the season a few games you're not going to be able to see you know um what a team is shaping up like but um most people will say like a quarter like 20 games into the season yeah i'd say 20 games you get an idea i mean obviously like the 20 22 celtics they yeah. like they were under 500 
till like January or something, but and then turned yeah. I mean but that's th- that's a, that's so more rare. of an anomaly. Like agreed, yeah. And I think people would have told you then that that Celtics team at under five hundred was underperforming and that they weren't like that wasn't where they were going to max out at. So. Yeah, and Jalen Brown gets all the <laughs> credit for that energies about a shift tweet right before they did it, but that was like a common sentiment. Everyone knew like the Celtics were uh, not playing up to what they were going to. Um, and then, yeah, I just have one more little one from uh, opening night. Is um, I, I just feel like SGA, he finished like fifth in MVP voting last year. Um, and the Thunder have been like a really, uh, um, they said it, they called him on no dunks, like a hipster pick. Yeah, they've been like a really trendy pick to for people to say that they're going to, um, you know, jump into uh, the playoffs, the play-in, or even I saw someone, I can't think of who it is to give credit, but uh with the take that they're gonna they have a chance at home court in the west which is insane but i i, th- I do think that they uh I'm, I'm sort of drinking the kool-aid on the thunder and i think that they uh ha- they might warrant the high hopes and they because game one they hung 140 on the bulls to be fair the bulls are uh a whole nother shaky story but yeah, that that's what I got from <laughs> Thunder Bulls game. I don't know. I don't think the Thunder are that far off, but they need some development. Yeah. And then I guess one, one more there. The Bulls had a, a player <laughs> players-only meeting after the game, I guess, uh, which has to be the earliest ever. I don't think one game in there's ever been. But I guess there was, um, yeah, heated discussions in the locker room. Is that the one where they, like, Told the coach, the yeah. coach is like, "Yo, I want to, you want me to leave?" And they're like, "Yeah, get out." Exactly. Billy Donovan That's said, uh, basically, walked in. They were arguing, and it was like, "You guys want to sort this out?" And then walked away, and they uh, they sorted it out. So Billy Donovan will be on the unemployment line by <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I do know that the Bulls cannot go through another wildly mediocre season. So, um, yeah, beyond moving past some of the uh, on court. NBA stuff. Um, Charles Barkley on on the broadcast of the um, opening night was talking to Adam Silver and uh, like pressed him a little bit about the domestic violence issues around the league. Like you have um, obviously with Miles Bridges and Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and Silver said that they're trying, uh, they're not trying to compete to be at the forefront between leagues, which I guess I, I understand what he's saying, but the tone came off kind of odd and then he mentioned the new players uh, association policies around allegations which he was clear to to mention and then yeah talked about how they just have a lot of counseling services and like state-of-the-art people to help with that and then lastly he said that the consequences are enormous if a player does cross the line but Uh, that that's clearly not been the case yeah I mean I thought Adam Silver's answer wasn't very good I mean, uh, it was obvious Chuck pressed him, and it wasn't like planned because it was like the a answer was like, yeah, it was just like failed PR jargon. It, yeah, it was just he he just said a whole lot of nothing and danced around it and yapped. But I do do really applaud Chuck for bringing that up. Um, I mean, yeah, you have to. He probably got in some trouble for it too. But Chuck's one of those people in the media who can do what he wants because he's Chuck, I saw, so he. I saw it was confirmed that it was unscripted, and they were supposed to go to break, and Chuck just brought it on so yeah i agree for sure um and then you want to talk about a little bit about our champs the aces back to back that beat the liberty 70 69 in game four uh i believe it was almost two weeks ago now 
They're the first back-to-back champs since 2001-2002. The LA Sparks, led by Lisa Leslie, someone we're familiar with. Asia, another... She should have won the MVP. She got the finals MVP, and then she had a lot to say about it. Uh, they say they had like the T-shirts with like the 17 percent, which is the amount of first place votes she got, or something. Yeah, that press conference was hilarious after the game. I mean, she's cemented herself as she's the best player in women's basketball right now, and I mean, she's at the point where she's probably a top three women's basketball player of all time at this point. Like. Mm-hmm. And she's what twenty six, twenty seven. So she, she she only has up to go on her resume. I think Brianna Stewart's right up there with her in the top three of all time. Like yeah. you're seeing, really like a transcendent like rivalry take form. Like these are the two greatest players we've seen, and they're they don't like each other. The teams <laughs> yeah. don't like each other, and it was a very competitive series. And Vegas won. So agreed. It's been fun to watch. Um, and you know, I, I gotta say, I, I'm such a big fan of Becky Hammond. Like, I I love her. But, um, yeah, you know, I also want to mention to your point, like, it is a, a legendary time for the the league. And like, um, Game Three in Brooklyn had 17,000 fans uh, in the arena. It's the largest crowd in WNBA history. Uh, the video of it too was just like they were all locked in like it was um, a crazy atmosphere there I mean people care man you can listen to the jokes on Twitter if you want the the reply guys incels but (laughs) like it the sport is popular it's getting popular and a, a huge part of that is the media coverage like you need good media coverage you need media coverage that big ups the sport and they've got that and then there was also something that happened that should be spoken about with the Liberty not sending players to like yeah. the media after. And mm-hmm. that's something you really can't do in the WNBA because you're a league that wants that attention and you're a league that really is reliant on the media. Like To that point, I know this was a little before that, but do, do you have thoughts about how... Uh, I can't think of who it was that got hurt, but the cameras followed her through the tunnel. As it was Chelsea Gray. It was Chelsea Gray. Um, and then there was like a huge uproar on Twitter about yes this will probably be unpopular in this city but I that that's sports like the hundred percent the cameras are there it's gonna happen in men's sports I'm sorry happen in women's sports like you're gonna see uncomfortable things if an injury happens like we all it was what 10 years ago with the Kevin Ware injury it was we were it was Easter Sunday and everyone's watching the final four national tv and Kevin Ware's leg snaps and yeah and it's horrific but they're not gonna not show it like yeah, I mean it's it's life. Like, yeah, you're watching a highly competitive sport, a highly competitive activity. I could it's understand. Highly physical. Right. These are athletes that are massive. Like, and and beyond that, like, why do we not? Why would we not want to see the emotion involved with us fans? Like, yeah, it does suck. We don't want to just shy away from that when you, someone gets hurt. And, and it also to... illustrated how serious the injury was. Right. Because if you see, like. It explained why Chelsea Gray was not back for the last game and why she wasn't going to be back for game five. And Mm -hmm. that's something that fans need to see. Yeah, no, I agree. And for the coverage of the league, it's definitely important. But also, like you said, Chelsea Gray was hurt. We had Candace Parker missing. The Aces had Candace Parker missing for, you know, months now. And then Asia Wilson's in a cast now a week after. Uh, So, yeah, they were able to do it with a lot of injuries, too, going on. So... Uh, big ups to them, and let's see if they can 3 <laughs> I mean, they have a decent chance. I think the Liberty are going to 
do a little more to reload. I think they're going to take they it personally. Do. But I hope it. they do. I think that this is huge for the league. Beyond, like you said, just Asia and Brianna, these two teams. Like I actually thought going into this, I thought the Aces were going to lose because in the regular season, the Liberty, I w- they didn't really have their number, so to speak. They, were, mm-hmm. they traded blowouts. But the, it looked like the Liberty were the team that, like, could get them off their guard in the playoffs, and they just didn't. Yeah, so. it seems like just every uh, role player was a star in the role for the Aces. And, you know, like, uh, let's say Sid Colson <laughs> has been uh, talking her stuff, but which is cool because she uh, had her two points, or what was it, four points? Yeah, but she was crucial and on, dominant on, on defense, the defensive yeah, end to win yeah, that game. For so sure. they don't win the game without her, which is crazy to say, but. Nah, she's such a fun personality, too. She, uh, this team has been fun to watch. So, but um, you know that's uh, all we have for for this one. But locked in, happy to be back here. I can't wait to uh, keep going and get the next one out. So, thanks for tapping in with us again. I'm Kevin Kelly. Well, that's part. Appreciate it, man. That's a wrap for Gucci Row this week. Thanks for tuning in on the Rebel HD2 with your hosts, Kevin Kelly and Will Dustport. You can find us on Instagram at 1KevKelly and Will Dustport. We'll see you next time on the Rebel HD2.